You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is NPR's voice of books for All Things Considered. His latest novel is Song of Slaves in the Desert. Thank you for joining me, Alan. My pleasure, Rick, as always. Alan, today we have three shades of noir, dark, darker, and darkest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's hard to to choose uh, which is the darkest, although I guess we have to say the the Robert Littell, a nasty piece of work, is kind of the lightest in heart even as he goes a little dark, but uh, he does a wonderful, it's, I mean, you wouldn't call it parody or even pastiche of a, a you know, sort of Chandler private eye novel for modern times, but uh, he's got a terrific plot. He's got a, a former CIA field operative who is, has put Afghanistan behind him, actually pushed out by the agency because he's refused to go along with a battlefield cover-up, and he finds himself in a kind of tricked-up mobile home outside of Las Cruces, New Mexico, and he's set himself up as a private eye. And he's got a part-time female accountant he's sleeping with part-time, but little cash for her to account for. And this woman shows up and says she needs a private eye because she's running a bail bond business part-time for her uncle, and somebody's skipped somebody for whom they put up bail has skipped town and she hires this guy whose name is Lemuel Gunn his gun with two hands and she wants to hire Gunn to find the guy who skipped leaving her uh, liable for all this bail money $125,000 in bail money so which is a great way to kick off the novel and so we roam around the southwest beginning in Las Cruces and heading north and then south again West again. I mean, it's a, it's a neat book. A gun tells it in the first person, and uh, it's it's really nicely nicely rolled out. It's a shift for Littell because you know he's done these extraordinarily good uh, spy thrillers over the years, and uh, this is a real shift for him to move into uh, detective novel mode. Well, I think he he does a good job, and I I really like the the prose in this. It's it, it is kind of you have to kind of like set your mind to to grok. Okay, this is going to be uh, Raymond Chandler esque, mm-hmm. and but once you get that going, it's a lot of fun. I I like the characters. I I like this. The mystery is is interesting because we're looking for a guy who may or may not actually exist. This could be problematic and I think that the uh, the character set and, and the the locations are really great I mean he really yeah. has a, a you have a really gritty feel for the Southwest and I think that that you know the the landscapes uh, really make the bring help bring the work to life yeah I mean line by line it's really nicely done really nicely done and uh, the, the female female lead, the female character, is rather fascinating. All told, it's really a nice little feat of uh, imaginative prose. 
And I think, too, that it's a great extension, you know, shows that the time-tested prose, the time-tested plot, the time-tested characters still work just fine in this time, the 21st century. There's nothing super ultra-new or inventive about it. It just shows that you write something well, you do a good job, you're going to have a good book. And I think that's an inter- it's an interesting realization to see this uh, done so nicely and so cleanly, I guess. That's what I liked about this book. It was, had a very clean feel to it. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of the ultimate diversion. I mean, uh, where you just get pulled into it and hours go by and eventually it uh, lets go of you when it's over. And it's just terrifically entertaining, I thought. And, and I wouldn't... Uh, like to see more uh, of Lemuel Gunn. I'm hoping that that will be the case. I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm expecting that he's going to do these now and then. Um, which, I mean, it's too bad the Cold War has run out and and Afghanistan is winding down. I mean, that's, you know, th- these are good fields of action for a writer like Littell. So if if, if this is a uh, you know, a shift into domestic novels, which he never really does much of unless it's a CIA novel, then that's great. We'll have peace and we'll have good reading. <laughs> yeah, the end of the Cold War put a whole generation of novelists right out of business practically overnight. That Berlin yeah, Wall it, fallen. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it hasn't been good for Le Carre. I mean, we have to face up to that. It's just not the same anymore for Le Carre even though he'll come up with now and then with an interesting subject that he explores. But there's just some some of the juice is gone, I think, whereas it looks as though Littell may be, uh, may be uh, shifting gears but not uh, lessening intensity. Yeah, he may be able to uh, transition over to uh, the 21st century with a fair amount of grace. Absolutely, I think that's right. Now when we want to look for uh, Dial Up the Darkness, just a, a, a notch, we can always go to Gene Kerrigan and this new Europa Editions. Europa is doing a lot of great work. Yeah, they, they have a world noir series. I have to say, <laughs> Dark Times in the City gives you a lot to, uh, to shudder about because of these Irish gangsters mean business. I mean, it, it's not James Joyce's Dublin anymore, that's for sure. And there's a guy in there at one point, a detective, who talks about Dublin's become Manhattan on the Liffey. But, it's, you know, if it's Manhattan, it's the Manhattan of the Cosa Nostra. And these uh, criminals, most most of them sociopaths, who think of nothing. As this guy, there's this character named Carl Prouse. You remember him, who, who at one point in the novel is uh, taking care of... Uh, of a, a, an informant, and right? he's beating him to death with a bat. Well, he, you know, he, the, the criminal is eating pizza. <laughs> uh, he, it's just horrendous. You know, he's uh, munching on pizza and beating the guy's skull into smithereens. Uh, I really thought this book was was dark, but I I thought it was also again. Another really enjoyable book to read, even though it, it has a lot of brutality in it. I, I mean, I like the the kind of again the the classic uh, setup with the nice guy trying to come back. Yeah. Uh, well, he's he, the, the, the young Callahan, the um, the main character, is 
served, what, six years in prison for uh, beating a guy to death with a golf club. <laughs> uh, but but then the guy charged him with the golf club first, right? So he only got six years, and, and he's trying to go straight, as you say, but he acts all, you know, out of character, he acts as a good Samaritan, and that makes a load of trouble for him. Yeah, the classic nice guy in the right place at the wrong time, Yeah, well-intended yeah. actions with unintended consequences. That proved right. to be gnarly. And I think that uh, here's, a, here's a novel where uh, the a new understanding of how dark the human psyche is <laughs> Is, is really well explored and and turning these kind of uh, psychopaths and sociopaths into plot points and into plot generators, I think, is is really uh, makes this novel kind of twisty and complex and feels really uh, gritty and gnarly. It, it's it's very entertaining to read, I think. Yeah, um, it is, and it's but the closest it gets to humor is I think there's one moment, I, I mean, I, I don't want to focus on this gory scene where the, the man was bludgeoned to death, but the pe- it happens in a, the house of some bystanders, and you know, the criminal breaks into the house, orders pizza, and this informant has been working as a favor to a friend at this pizza place, delivers the pizza, and that's how the, this guy with the bat entraps him. And when the people who own the house arrive home, there's a police, you know, there's a murder scene, and the guy's only worry is, is this going to drop the value of my house? <laughs> That's about as funny as this one gets. Uh, I mean, these, these Dublin criminals are very serious folks. Yeah, I mean, even the one of the big mobsters in it, reading... Uh, Chinese philosophy on the art of war. I guess that's somewhat funny, but most of it is pretty, uh, pretty devastating stuff. Well, I think it's nice to see how uh, well um, uh, Kerrigan just creates this whole micro world. I think you know, in, in terms of creating Dublin and. Just in in one fell swoop, we are immersed in this city, we're immersed in this world, we're immersed, immersed in this world of crime in, in a manner that's really, uh, it's kind of, it seems really novel and interesting, even though it's a lot of the, the themes and characters, again, we've seen these things done before, but he does them well, and he does them in a place that seems new and fresh and terrorizing and, you know, maybe a little bit... Uh, as you say, not exactly funny, but enter- certainly entertaining. Yeah, uh, the sorrow of others. Yes, now, and I think when you want to dial things up to the dial up the darkness, dial back the light, all you have to do is go to Robert Stone. Yes. <laughs> uh, this new novel is, um, I was a little worried about it because. Um, Death of the Black-Haired Girl, because it's set on a university campus. And those novels, at least for my taste, are usually, talking about death, they're usually death. But there is a death in here, but um, it's a death that just of, a, of an undergraduate, and it just rolls through the lives of a number of people uh, uh, in an absolutely devastating way uh, from her, her, her instructor, English instructor, lover 
alcoholism to the life of her father, who is a, a re alcoholic, retired New York policeman. It's just, we use the word devastating a couple of times. This is true, truly moral uh, devastation and, and spiritual devastation. Um, it, it, it comes with great, a bow tie turned around the dark, turn, tied around the darkness because Stone is such a fine writer. I mean, towards the end, this, this a friend of the, the counselor who hears her talk about the situation, he says, uh, he says, people always want their suffering to mean something. And in a way, the novelist spends the whole time trying to make the, uh, the death of this girl, which is a accidental, and I mean, I'm not spoiling anything because it comes really towards the beginning of the novel, it's both accidental and absolutely determined, and he tries to make it mean something within the context of the novel, but in the lives of the characters, it is just an unimaginable turn of events that, that produces nothing but misery and, and suffering. Uh, I think that one of the things Stone really manages to do in this novel is to turn what might have been a kind of a, a slash your wrist and hope to die uh, type of narrative that's just mere de merely depressing and, and to find some kind of, uh, I guess, dark illumination within that mm -hmm. and, and to make the, the grief and the terror and the anger and the upsetness and the, the just the stone weight of the characters not weigh upon the reader Mm -hmm. but instead to enliven and engage the reader and take us through this kind of uh, really awful series of events and awful series of feelings in a manner that's, I think, I guess engaging and has this kind of dark, dark momentum that is, that is fulfilling to read, though tough, to experience. It's a very interesting, I guess you, you have to, you read a novel like this, you're really embracing opposing notions. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right in everything you just said. And, and it's thrilling in a certain way to see how he manages to deal with uh, sorrow and remorse and suffering. Um, and, and nobody gets away Nobody's innocent in this in this novel. Um, Stone, as a, a Catholic, has fallen very far below the, the horizon, and he keeps going, falling faster and deeper. But he makes splendid sentences as he goes, and gives us characters that uh, we will remember. Uh, I, that's, I think, uh, the hallmark of this book. This is a book that. The story will lodge itself your in your mind in a manner that is rather difficult to distinguish from memories. That, that's the that, you know that's the mark of a really fine book. That 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 that, that odd and strange and wonderful uh, condition that reading produces in you, that so that you know characters in novels better than you know members of your own family. Quite a thing. I've been speaking with Alan Chews. His newest novel is Song of Slaves in the Desert. We spoke about Gene Kerrigan's Dark Times in the City, 
Robert Littell's A Nasty Piece of Work, and Robert Stone's Death of the Dark-Haired Girl. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.